<coughs> so we'll begin an evening session with an evening puja offering. And uh, we find this, I realize there are, there are different versions of this chanting book, uh, which makes it interesting, but <laughs> essentially this should be called evening chanting. <laughs> Uh, and it starts with a f- passage called Dedication of Offerings. We'll chant it in English. And what we're going to actually do is uh, each of these aspects of the Triple Gem, you have after the prelim- preliminary homage, you have the recollection and the supreme praise of the Buddha, the same of the Dhamma, and then the Sangha. And this evening we'll do down to the primary homage and then the recollection of the Buddha the recollection of the Dhamma and the recollection of the Sangha so just the sections of this not the complete script but just those sections of it Blessed one, the Lord, who fully attained perfect enlightenment, to the teaching which he expounded so well, and to the blessed one's disciples who have practiced well, to these, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, we render with offerings our rightful homage. It is well for us that the Blessed One, having attained liberation, still had compassion for later generations. May these simple offerings be accepted for our long-lasting benefit and for the happiness it gives us. The Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, I render homage to the Buddha, the Blessed One. The teaching so completely explained by him, I bow to the Dhamma. The Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha. Now let us pay a preliminary homage to the Buddha. Homage to the Blessed Noble, Perfectly enlightened one, homage to the blessed noble, perfectly enlightened one, homage to the blessed noble, 
perfectly enlightened one. Now let us chant the recollection of the Buddha, a good word of the Blessed One's reputation has spread as follows. He, the Blessed One, is indeed the Pure One, the perfectly enlightened one. He is impeccable in conduct and understanding, the accomplished one, the knower of the worlds. He trains perfectly those who wish to be trained, teacher of gods and humans. He is awake and holy. Let us chant the recollection of the Dhamma. The Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be experienced individually by the wise. Now is chant the recollection of the Sangha. They are the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, who have practiced directly, who have practiced insightfully, those who practice with integrity. That is the four pairs the eight kinds of noble beings. These are the Blessed One's disciples. Such ones are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. They give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world.
namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddhang dhammang sanghang namasami So, it's setting up the uh, um, frame for teaching. There's always a sense of uh, request and response rather than you know, imposition, request and response. This is the way that the Dhamma began to be taught, and it's this uh, the phrases that are being used by the uh, yogi who's asking for the talk is the, uh, attributed to the uh, time of the Buddha's awakening when he was uh, enjoying the freedom and the peace and the joy of liberation. And he thought, I don't know how you can figure, that, how you can get, how you can explain this to anyone if anybody really interested anyway. This is, uh, you know, this is subtle. Uh, maybe, I, you know, I'm quite, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, and then this, uh, this Brahma Sampati, Brahma Sampati, Brahma is a uh, supreme or deity. And uh, Sahampati means the father of all, or the, uh, which supervises, so it's the supervisor of the universe. Yeah. Yeah, and this spirit descends, kneels in front of the Buddha and comes out with this phrase. It's a good job he spoke Pali, wasn't it? <laughs> so, you know, these things in this particular cosmological, you know, configuration, which we can perhaps, you know, we can interpret as some quality, infuse the Buddha's mind, this descent of compassion. Yeah, in other words, it's the, yeah, if you like, the, su- the supreme qualities of awakening actually come to the earth. Yeah, from the vastness coming down to the earth. And there are sentient beings here. You can't not do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the beings are, and the phrases are, Beings with little dust in their eyes, pray, teach the Dhamma for their welfare. And so the Buddha, I don't know if he really knew what to say, but he thought, well, I'll just get going. And took about six weeks, walked to uh, Varanasi, and uh, you know, he just perhaps he didn't know quite what to say, but he met his 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 old colleagues, and then his his first discourse arose in his mind, saying, well, this is what you shouldn't do. These are the extremes you should avoid doing, and this is how to stop suffering. You know, it wasn't like uh, metaphysical, I believe in this, but this is what you're doing, you know, and it's not going to get you where you want to go. <laughs> so don't do that. <laughs> uh, instead, look for the middle, the middle way. Yeah. 
and then you've developed the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So these particular teaching structures arose in, perhaps in response, and many of them seem to arise in response to the particular needs or questions or dispositions of the inquirer. But there were other kinds of uh, teachings. And one of the things that Brahma Sampati uh, mentioned to the Buddha, he said to the Buddha, there are five spiritual supports, which when spiritual faculties, which when fully ripened, matured, merge in the deathless. And the, the Buddha and Brahma Sampati kind of had this little dialogue with each other and they said, yes, it's so. Even so, Lord, even so. When these five are fully ripened, they merge in the deathless, they incline to the deathless. Uh, so it was just the kind of acknowledgement, really. And these are called the five Indriya. And uh, so I thought I would talk about these today. Basically because Indriya it means a, a, a guiding faculty and it also refers to something we already have. The, so uh, there are a whole list of indriyas and some are like the chakindriya is the eye faculty, the nose faculty, the ability to, so it means we've got a certain power, the ability to see, the ability to smell. Mm. Yeah, Something, you know, one particular quality gives us a certain faculty, a certain potential arises because we can see. And he says, they've got all these, these are what are given. And we also have what are called spiritual faculties, uh, which when they're fully developed become strengths. And these also are potentials that we have that need to be developed. They are in the Pali, begin the Pali, Sadha, which means aspiration, confidence, faith. Um, Virya, energy, enthusiasm, vigor, vitality. Um, Sati, mindfulness, the ability to bear something in mind and keep referring to that, that you're bearing in mind. Creating a frame of reference, you might say. Samadhi, the ability to unify, collect, unify to one theme, stay with it and absorb into it and derive firmness and happiness from that. Unifying the mind. And Panya, discernment, the ability to review and discern it's like teasing apart. Oh, there's that and there's that. Just like a skilled cook would take a soup, turmeric, a little bit of salt, some olive oil in that, you know, be able to detect the different flavors that make up that, that dish, that soup. Panya. Actually, these, these are... Uh, 
faculties that we have, but they're not necessarily fully developed, or they're developed in the wrong way, or they don't actually combine and merge together. So our aim really is to awaken these and see how they merge together, how they blend with each other, how they bring each other to fruition, how they strengthen, and then how they bring around the twofold accomplishment of uh, a mind or chitta and awareness that is steady, healed, whole, unbroken, and a release that is free, sorrowless, stainless. Twofold deliverance, citta and panya, vimuti. Now, aspiration or sadha, again, I did mention this earlier because it's, uh, it's actually the beginning of everything. Maybe we, we don't really name it as such because faith, as a word, tends to mean belief, you know, like you have the Baptist faith or you have the Muslim faith. But faith essentially is that which has a, a sense that something worthwhile, you know, something to something to be alive for, something to be some furthering, some progress, some well-being, something skillful is possible, something for our welfare is possible. Without it, I don't think people would live very long, really. You know, I think when you really lose it completely, this is the time when people jump off bridges and uh, overdose. There's nothing worth going for another day for. There's no point of love, there's no sense of purpose, there's no sense of any bitty meaning anything. There's nothing we have any sense of trust or faith or aspiration in. Yeah. Uh, so, so, we do, so we have something there. Yeah. Some sense in which there is a, a better, a truer, a wiser, a more fulfilling as possible. And that, that, can, be, that can be achieved. Once so we have achieved it, we could achieve it. We could, we could make something better for ourselves. Aspiration. Naturally, when there's aspiration, that is a trigger for energy. If there's something worthwhile, yeah, I'm going to go for it. You know, I want to. I want to find. If I have something worthwhile, I want to. I'm going to go for that. There's enthusiasm. And uh, sati. <coughs> I'm going to keep bearing that in mind. I want to learn about that particular topic that I'm interested in. I'm going to stay with that and study that and keep coming back to that time and time again till I get it right. Hmm? So you bear something in mind. Unification. And one of the th- samadhi, one of the um, things to uh, acknowledge about this uh, which we don't necessarily get by just using concentration, is it's really about simplicity, simplifying. Cut to the chase, you know, just trim off the discursiveness, 
ifs and ands and buts and maybe get to the point, stay with it, get focused <laughs> and enjoy. Yeah. So samadhi is both a simplification and an in, that enables us to more fully enjoy and deepen into what we're experiencing. And Banya begins perhaps as our amazing, sometimes restless ability to keep inquiring. Uh, oh, this. Is it that? Is it this? Hmm. <laughs> How's that? What's the cause of that? What makes this work? How come that doesn't? What do you think, you know? But uh, when it's combined with samadhi, instead of it leading to a uh, kind of proliferation, it's a deeply penetrative. Instead of generating more um, discursive thought, it's kind of like a, a penetrative inquiry into what really is the bit here? Let's get right into this, you know. What is the cause and condition for this? What's this made of? Mm, this kind of inquiry. And so that's uh, <coughs> called uh, vipassana. And vipassana is the kind of uh, wisdom that can occur when there is adequate samadhi. Sometimes they're seen as separate, but this is really incorrect. Uh, you know, vipassana is what the kind of wisdom that becomes possible when there is samadhi, because it's you have to have something that's strong enough clear enough object and a clear enough steady enough mental state to really peer into that if the king keeps shaking around and dropping it all the time you can't really inquire into it so you can inquire you can still keep inquiring it doesn't mean you can't be wise Uh, but uh, the, the really penetrative examination of an object of a mental state a state of being, a state of consciousness, means that state of being, that state of consciousness has to be stable enough for you to to inquire into it. These are, so these can uh, lead to tremendous realizations and realization is the true fruition of wisdom. It starts with inquiry, uh, it goes on to understanding, cause and effect, and it leads to realization, release. The realization of the nature of appearances, the emptiness, the anatta, the, uh, you know, when the clinging and the compounding is put aside, dispensed with. Anyway, so these are the five, and they're, uh, you can see they're kind of consequent. They also are said to, you know, often seen as balancing each other out. That is, if you have a lot of energy, a lot of juice, a lot of, you know, that you really, it's good to, uh, you know, simplify and steady and stabilize with the samadhi qualities so that the two balance each other out. If you get mind becomes too 
calmed and steady, then perhaps it doesn't have enough juice, enough energy to really be a, a suitable um, foundation for wisdom. Mm. So you just get kind of, you know, steady and still, but your mind goes kind of blank. <laughs> and there isn't really uh, any, and then we, in a way, we haven't really made the best use of that. So it's samadhi, energy, and uh, and samadhi kind of work together, the idea. Mm. Mm. The Buddha sometimes uses the image of a, a goldsmith, someone who gets this rough ore, and he heats it up in a crucible. This is the energy, firing it up, firing it up. And then it begins to skim off the dross, the scum, you know, from that. That's the process of of discernment. This isn't necessary. This is getting in the way. That's a hindrance. And then you have the end of it. Here you have this fine gold glowing, and then you kind of admire. It says now the mind is now like. Uh, pure or pure gold and you can make it work it to anything you want you can use that that quality that mind for any skillful thing you want hmm. but it says if you fire it up too much too much energy then uh, the thing never really settles it's just always heated like it's bubbling where you don't actually mold anything with it the right kind of energy is that which is helpful to remove the hindrances. Yeah. <coughs> and uh, aspiration, faith, helps to, if we are, if our panya faculty becomes uh, uh, too much too verbalized, we're always mistaking understanding for verbalization then uh, we're trying to find certainty in words a very uh, common habit if only I could get the words right I'd be certain is it this or is it that you know and then somebody else has another set of words oh that sounds impressive is this or is it that and we end up very much caught on the verbal level this is when your panya, this, this, the wisdom faculty, mm, is, gets too, um, goes out of, out of, out of balance. Mm. So what, how that's balanced by faith is that faith, as it matures, becomes confidence. So you don't have to have really a lot of verbal stuff. Because what you know, you know, gives you a sense of certainty and conviction, adequate for your practice. So we can (coughs) readily note there are many, many, many books, many, many suttas. The Buddha presented quite a few pedagogical 
devices, the four foundations, the seven enlightenment factors, the indriyas, the balas, the and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at the suttas and the abhidharma and the commentaries and so and so. And uh, you know, and what what do you need? What do you need to clear the mind of hindrances? So we're looking very, really having confidence in the nature of mind, awareness, which is actually, uh, you know, it can, it can verbalize, but its verbalization is not its most intelligent aspect. <laughs> it's got subtler forms of intelligence which are non-verbal. When you really have confidence in mind, you, you don't need to create a whole lot more verbal patterns other than those which help to counteract negative verbal patterns. We get spun out in thinking about ourselves in ungracious ways or thinking about others in ungracious ways or just speculating about the future, speculating about the past, you know, drifting off into curiosity and discursiveness, no, no, just enough to say, to be able to name that. Oh, this is agitation. Oh, it's helpful. And this is what we do with agitation. You say, come back, notice the energy of agitation, notice the energy of the thinking mind. Where's that coming from? Hmm. You start to investigate verbal patterns because you have confidence that there's a deeper mind than the verbal one and all you want to do is find out where your verbalization where it's coming from so your your faith helps to balance wisdom the wisdom faculty it's really uh, um, just as a little skillful means when you go off into the when the mind goes off into these narratives which it often does you know a particular topic comes up and your mind runs off into it uh, it could be another person there are generally four areas that it goes to if you notice where you know where you go where you go where it goes there's the future could be the next minute the end of the retreat the end of the sitting how long it could be next year, what are you planning, where are you going, could be you know, insurance, could be health policy, it could be, you know, how's the financial situation, could be what happens when I get old, you know, future. Could be the past. Why did they always do that? Why did I do that? That was really wrong, I shouldn't have done that. Where did she go? What went wrong? What's wrong with her? What happened to that? Yeah. Oh, that was so good. That was. Like, why didn't that continue? Why is it like you know the past? There's a and two ones. Uh, and then you find there's never an end to it. Once you hit one of those patterns, they just go keep roll. Reels keep rolling. <laughs> and uh, the other one is other people. How is she? Why is she? Why isn't she? 
Will she? Won't she? <laughs> Why doesn't she? How could she? How dare he? <laughs> He's not like that. Yes. Why is he like me? <laughs> other people. And the fourth one, and that goes on. <laughs> and the other one is oneself. Me, why? <laughs> what I can I be? Why am I? Why aren't I? What will I be? What was I? Uh, am I? Am I not? <laughs> is this myself or is this my non-self? Does myself know my non-self or does my non-self know myself? And so on. And that one keeps rolling. Yeah, so these are kind of four positions. So whenever you, you track, and they're all quite uh, luminous, and the the uh, have a huge amount of charge in them because our our reality in general seems to be held by those four cardinal points, different weaves across that that those four cardinal points, and everyone really. Uh, quite dazzling and uh, bemusing and fraught with joy and sorrow and angst and rage and disappointment and uh, excitement and all sorts of stuff and that all that charge you think what's going on here you know and you open your I'm sitting here and I am at the retreat center and it's eight o'clock in the morning and I was supposed to be watching my breath. Where did all that come from? Where have I been, you know? <laughs> so just catching that, and then you, you, know, you just be on the lookout for those directions. And then you, what you do with your panya faculty, is you say, just could you sum this up, like in one word, this, this story, could you sum it up? So use your panya to review and to just name it. This is when your verbalization is used to say, oh, this is, what is it? Regret. This is uncertainty. This is uh, anticipation. This is, just the one word. Yeah? You get the one word. How's that? How's that sound, sound that one word again? You know, she's better than me. She's doing a lot better than me. Everyone thanks her more than me. And you take that one word and you, ah, there it is. It's where it's sticking in the heart, isn't it? And so you come right down to the point uh, of what the heart is fretting around. Mm. And that's where you begin to apply your know, uh, deeper understanding. Hmm. What good does this do me? This particular thought pattern, what use is it? What good is it doing me? Why do I have to keep it running? (laughs) Is it true anyway? (laughs) And why do I have to keep it running? You don't. Following it, Will it go anywhere useful? No. <laughs> Is there any really important reason to keep it going? No. 
Is it possible just to imagine what it would be like without it? Put it aside. You don't need to do that. Thoughts don't happen to us, we do them. Mm. Or something does it. And so this often is the, you know, where we use uh, what's called wisdom as appropriate attention. Yoni Manisikara, appropriate attention, means you, what's happening, instead of attending to it inappropriately, which means you keep giving it more spin, more colorations, more flavorings, more, and another thing, <laughs> and another, and another thing, more, more, that's inappropriate, it's adding more to it. You, you appropriate attention, is it just, could you just sum it up? to one word. So this is where appropriate attention leads to sati, mindfulness, means you frame up the important piece. This is a mind state. You frame it up. And once you know the mind state is what this is, you know, anxiety, very common, disappointment, hope, uncertainty, yeah, how's that feel? Can you be with that? How that feels? Could you breathe through that? Could you feel it in your what's breathe it breathe into it, breathe through it, relax with it, gentle it, let that thing drop out. Mm. You don't need to be doing that. So this is where then that will, you know, then this, this kind of uh, appropriate attention supports mindfulness and mindfulness then supports the clearing and the purification of the mind of awareness that is the um, springboard for samadhi and an even deeper qualities of wisdom. But there has to be the faith there. Yeah. It means that, you know, all this, you know, the, the, the niddering away of your mind, you can get quite bored with it and disappointed with it all. So, you know, and the, that's the crucial one saying, or a crucial saying in the Buddha is that Spiritual faith arises from suffering, from dukkha. It's not destroyed by dukkha, by things feeling wrong. It's actually supported by it. Because when we see this and you're bearing in mind that actually this dukkha, this wrongness, this imbalance, is that which we are encouraged to understand. It means get a hold of it, sum it up. Where, what, where's the chafing? Sum it up, get it down to one point, one word, locate it, frame it up, be mindful of that, attend to it and release that. So, but there has to be the initial quality of 
faith, this to, to an aspiration to say, you know, there's something good about doing this, you know, there's something worthwhile about being with one's mind. Yeah. Or being with one's karma, you could say. Being with the results. Because this is the way we will learn and we begin to acknowledge the underlying habits and tendencies that spin out, cause this spinning out. And through that, you begin to, you know, cut the source of suffering. So we, um, faith, aspiration, you know, is a sense that there could be something worthwhile about being here. <laughs> something that can be furthered through being here, through being present. This is where the Buddha awakens in the present through that. And uh, all of our Kalyanamita, spiritual friends, guides, mentors, exemplars go this way. They also experience fear, agitation, craving, doubt, uncertainty, pain, disappointment. They also are those who experience loss, bereavement. And they, instead of just being collapsing under that, and able to t- turn it around because we've realized what the Buddha is saying is that these troubles, these dissonances are not essentially you or your mind. They are activities that can be quelled. The nature of mind itself is actually quite pure in the depth. It's wide, it's spacious, it's boundless. But this is the stuff, rather like the ocean, this is the pollutions that get thrown onto it. And they can be cleared. Faith, aspiration, um, willingness, and then confidence. So faith is naturally increased when you begin to get some results. Aspiration, resonance means, which is the second aspect of faith, means, oh, somebody else is experiencing that. Oh, and they said this is something you can look into. Oh, you you know, you hear something and you light up. In the uh, suttas, it's said that faith maybe arises from hearing something or meeting someone who inspires or says something or read a book or a phrase. Something comes up, you get inspiring. And then you listen in, you listen up to that, you take it in and some light bulb goes off in your head. (laughs) Oh. You resonate. Suddenly that which was inspiring outside, something in you 
trembles with that. You get a resonance. This means something to me. This too. I can relate to that. You know, I've had that. Oh, yes, I see that. You, you, know, you get the resonance. So you, so you take it in, you listen to it, you measure it up. You resonate with it. Because of that, you apply yourself. Is where the energy comes in. Enthusiasm. And as you have the enthusiasm, the energy, you apply yourself to that. You frame it up. You see the illusion that you've been under and you dispel it. And there's realization and you get confidence. So the faith is then amplified. So every one of those hindrances, every one of those difficult points, every one of those things that that snags, that catches us, every fleck of dust in our eyes can give rise to understanding and then increase confidence to clear, keep clearing. And the aha moment of realization is just uh, that moment you recognize that's a complete fantasy. I've just made that up. You know, I've been carrying that thing around for the last 10 years. And it's just a thought in my mind. <laughs> it's just an unresolved, you know, uh, doubt or worry or self-criticism or something like that. And that, that moment where you really see how you were carrying around these uh, ghosts, you know, carrying around ghosts in your heart. And because we're frightened of them, they seem so real. Because we don't like them. We don't want them to be there. The more you don't want it to be there, the realer it gets. That's the law. The more you don't want it, the bigger it gets. <laughs> the more you push it away, the bigger it pushes back. Until, you know, you have the, the capacity to really, what is that? That uh, impression of myself. Energy enthusiasm. Now, there's quite a ongoing kind of debate about energy because people find themselves it's sort of the idea you've got to be, you know, bust the gut, striving like your head's on fire. <laughs> but uh, when you look at enthusiasm, the stuff that people can do when they're motivated, you know, athletes and craftsmen and musicians and so forth really can apply themselves something in enthusiasm but it really comes from 
uh, uh, love, joy, enjoyment, this is worthwhile, this is meaningful. And applying effort to something that, doesn't, that in your heart of hearts is not meaningful, that is the strain. So if you're just applying yourself to a thought of what you should be or an idea of what you could be or a process or a strategy or, an, or a dogma or a theory that you don't really have full conviction in, then it's not going to work. Then the faith comes first. If you, do ha- if you do have confidence in something, then naturally you'll find the energy arises for that. So the important thing with energy is how does the faith arise? Mm. How does the sense of interest and this is meaningful? If that's there, you'll get, you'll get the energy. You'll have adequate energy for it. And energy is different from effort. Energy is just the potential, like the gas in the tank. No gas in the tank, doesn't matter how hard you push the pedal, it's not going to go. But uh, energy is the gas in the tank that enables you to have effort. You can't have effort without energy. So just, uh, you know, trying to whip up some effort from the should be, ought to be, got to get this done, wasting my time, better try and be better than I am, doesn't work. Because it's not, has has no faith in it. Has no joy in it. It's not a welling up of potential. It's a, a sense of obligation. Often with a sense of self doubt. I should be other than I am. You can't operate from that because it's basically operating from a sense of absence. You can't get energy from absence. <laughs> so, so there isn't an original feeling that, you know, I have potential and how can I express it? How can I bring it forth? Then you're not going to get the right kind of effort. So if your effort is bound by I'm not good enough, I should be this, then you can't get the right kind of energy for it. So, first thing is to acknowledge I, am, I have aspiration. And wh- what is that aspiration triggered by? What term, what theme, what exemplar that really resonates for me? Hmm? If it resonates for you, you'll have energy for it. Uh, and then you, when you apply your energy to something that you find resonant, you're bound to get the results that give you increased confidence and enjoyment. So, yeah, enjoyment is the sign of proper energy. Mm. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but you get a feeling that it's maybe work, but you're you're enjoying it. You know, you're getting grubby, you're thrashing away, but you're enjoying it. Yeah. So that's that's the mark that you you look if it isn't there, that isn't gonna keep going. You're operating on the wrong base. Sati mindfulness means your energy has to have a specific focus. In other words, it spins off track. 
So, you know, sati is a sense of framing it up. What are you, what you kind of bear in mind? What are you going to stay with? What's your theme? What's, where's your, what's your, what are you framing up? Is it body, breathing? Are you referring, are you staying with that and exploring that and inquiring into that and returning to that time and again and examining that and purifying that and, you know, Remember, everything is dynamic, so anything you apply yourself to properly with mindfulness, you're going to get, it's also going to give you its energy. Mm. Breathing is, is very helpful for that because breathing has an energy in it, a natural body energy. And so as you apply yourself to that, you begin to get the, the feedback of, uh, of a subtle vitality and a clarity uh, that's enjoyable. Mm. Kindness, metabhavana is the other is the main theme. You begin to cultivate that and you begin to experience a sense of brightness and freedom from obvious things like grudging and ill will and distaste to oneself and grouchiness towards oneself and towards others. And also just the kind of the lethargy of the mind. You know, the mind is, become, is indolent, unwilling, uh, flat, stale. Uh, these, these cultivations bring up the right kind of heart energy and the right kind of body energy. Mm. So you frame up something worthwhile. Frame it up with mindfulness, then uh, keep referring. The use of mindfulness is to keep referring, coming back to that. You know, having established a sense of being mindful in your body, how is this uh, sensation, how is this uh, impingement of the wind or the coolness or the sense of the floor or where do I lose it? Where do I find I've dropped it? I rush out because I see something. I notice that. You notice the, the jumping away and you're returning. And so you're able to more fully even apprehend the reflexes of uh, your attention jumping. You can begin to sense that happening right in your nervous system and how you can get to that point. Mm. You know, you know, one of the, the issues that the meditator has to come to terms with is that uh, we, li- we live in a world that seems basically not very supportive for meditation. There are always dang things happening in it sights and sounds, <laughs> touches, noises, other people, <laughs> the future, the past. <laughs> so, so if only they'd all stop, then we could meditate. 
So if there was no wind blowing, then I wouldn't feel that irritation. If it was just the right temperature, I wouldn't feel too cold, too hot. Yeah. If there was no construction site nearby, then I'd be able to meditate. If there's nobody kind of with a, a squeaky uh, zipper on their on their jacket, they're rustling away in the two two rows behind me, I'd be able to meditate. If there's no sight, sound, touch, flavor, fragrance, or thought, I'd be able to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it stop, you know? <laughs> Where does the world stop? You know, it's like the parable of the person who wants to walk the earth and he wants to cover the earth with leather so as to be comfortable. They say, well, don't really put a foot, leather on your foot instead. <laughs> Get to the point. So with, with mindfulness, saying, well, don't worry about the sights and sounds. Just notice the nerve in you that jumps when you see something. Yeah. Just notice that that in you that that nerve that jumps when you hear something. That thing that jumps when you feel cool or hot or a sound. Just notice that. Not because you're not saying that there's nothing out there, or you know we can whether it should be this way or shouldn't be this way, whether. It could be another way, or it ought to be another way, or if only other people were more considerate, they wouldn't do that, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, but where does that go? <laughs> yeah. So sati, you frame up where really is the bit that you can deal with in all that. If you can deal with that, then you can, you can cover the world. <laughs> yeah. Mm. These, these, uh, these you know, monasteries are generally, particularly in Thailand, generally quite noisy. There's always animals howling in, in the woods, in the trees. <coughs> There's maybe a village nearby blasting out music. There may be a highway with trucks booming up and down it. Uh, uh, this one monk had a monastery in a I think in Sakon Nakorn, every year they'd have the, the rocket festival. The elephants, elephants and, and rockets, blasting rockets off into the air, fire rockets, and the elephants trumpeting. And the monks would complain about the noise. They'd say, don't bother with it, leave it alone. <laughs> the noise is doing its own job, which is to be noisy. The, the duty of sound is to make sound. Let it do its thing. Your duty is to be mindful. Why don't you do that? Let the sound do what it is supposed to do, which is to be noisy, and you do what you're supposed to do, <laughs> which is to stop getting agitated by it. Yeah. So you don't go out to the sound. You don't go out and throttle the chicken. You don't go out and beat the construction worker. Yeah. <laughs> Strangle the yogi. <laughs> you go, ah, oh, thank you. It's pointing to something in here. Where's that? And you feel the tensing in the backs of your hands, in your chest, in your throat. When you come there, 
you breathe through that. You feel the shimmering in your in your heart of ill will, restlessness, doubt. Why don't you soften and gentle with that? Lean into that. Yield into that. Instead of trying to shut it out, why don't you open into it? Well, you cold about this is mindfulness. Mindfulness, using it skillfully. Now, you know, we could place mindfulness bearing in mind all the terrible things that somebody's done to me. <laughs> but the, why, when mindfulness is properly established through wise attention, so let's go to the feeling of grievance instead. Then you're able to deal with everybody everything that's gone wrong. You get to the point. Framing it up, framing up what's relevant for the elimination of suffering. Uh, and when one begins to see that, you know, the radical simplicity, radical simplification from the manifold the manifold events of our lives, the manifold circumstances, the manifold multiplicity of images and impressions that can be so overwhelming down to just the one point to this is ill will, this is passion, this is longing, this is doubt. So we frame it up to this simplicity of a hindrance you see it for what it is. You see the danger of adding to it. You handle it carefully, handle it wisely. And you never lose respect for yourself with that. So this is, I am bigger than this. I can be above this. I don't need to do this. And then you, you dispel it. So, Faith is required, faith in oneself, confidence in oneself. I, I can be bigger than this. This is beneath me, this is belittling, you know. This, this disfigures me. Images uses of, uh, in the suttas is of a person in their prime, a young man or a young woman in their prime, endowed with uh, you know the beauty of youth they got a dead dog hanging around the neck why are you carrying that dead dog around your neck why don't you just take it off (laughs) or a snake dead snake they don't so when you have a hindrance it's not like you're not the dead dog You mustn't confuse the disease for the patient. You have to remember that you are the beautiful. And this is not worthy of you. So then just put this aside. You can do that. Properly framing up mindfulness based upon faith and energy and using wisdom. And of course, Samadhi, you know, Samadhi concentration in which 
we make make use of many encouraging systems or techniques, advice, but actually samadhi is a more basic and more ongoing cultivation than that. It means simplify. Yeah. Simplify. Learn to simplify. Learn to get a bit more minimal. Simplify rather than proliferate. Yeah. It is really based upon sati, mindfulness. You have to frame something up. You've got to You've got to simplify. And you, when you begin to get you know, that, that, that idea, that theme, then you, 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 spend, you cultivate the preparatory ground for samadhi as a way of life. What's necessary, what's helpful, what's appropriate. If it's not necessary, not helpful, not appropriate, don't bother. There's not so much time. We could go any day. Don't bother wasting your time and energy in stuff that is not resonant, not purposeful, not furthering. You know, there is something good for us if we don't, if we stay on track. You know? When you look at things, uh, you know, renunciation is part of it. And it means uh, not something about something, uh, something kind of punitive, but uh, keep dis- looking at your requisites, at your activities, at your engagements with the eye that's looking for, could this be simpler? Could this be simpler? Just to keep the question there. It could certainly be more complex, that's easy. <laughs> We could add more and more complexities. Could it be simpler? Try bearing that question in mind. This is an inquiry. And that's, that's the, the kind of foundational inquiry question that uh, gives rise to samadhi. Because when you begin to bring that, that lens onto your body, onto your breathing, onto your mind states, then instead of all the, you know, multi- multiplying of thoughts and impressions, say, just give me the one thing. Mm-hmm. For example, with uh, breathing, you know, the one thing. Is it bright? Is it, is it clear? Is it strong? Where is it? Where do you find it? Where does it come to you? Where, where, does it, where can you approach that? Mm-hmm. What does it happen for you? Does it happen in your chest? Does it happen in your, as a sense of relief? Does it happen as a sense of brightening? And gradually the, the breathing becomes, uh, simplifies to a single sign, a sign of something clear, uh, bright, encouraging the mind will then gather around that. But you need to really, you know, learn the skill of simplicity. What what brings us together?
Retreat time is a great time really set up for that, actually. The number of choices we don't have to make. I always, when I come to these places, just, you know, what's the routine? And just fit in, it's easiest that way. What's the food? I'll eat it, that's easiest that way. <laughs> you know? Because it's just easier to just <laughs> do it rather than create alternatives all the time. You know, if, if I can, you know, prepare to just, you know, bear with it, it'll be okay. And if that's cultivated with with mindfulness and appropriate attention, you see the results of the mind beginning to unify. And as it unifies, it, it, uh, a particular perception, an impression such as, could be impression of quiet, it could be the impression such as bright, it could be the impression such as steady, something like that, an impression. The mind seems to have a particular body to it. And the feeling, a particular feeling, a pleasant feeling, a bright, pleasant feeling. It comes like that. Mm. So you see the results. And this is, you know, called the, the world stopper, because what is called the world really means the diversification, where the mind's energy is scattered over many, many things. Interesting. Isn't it? And then with unifying, all that energy comes back and it starts to unify into something that you can really enjoy and stay with. <clears throat> and with uh, it acts as a foundation for, for liberating wisdom. You know, some wisdom is path wisdom, which is the ability to inquire correctly, to frame things up, to apply it, to, to see what it is, what one should give attention to. And there's also wisdom which deals with release, which is to do with really understanding all this, you know, this very mind, this very experience I'm having itself is just dependently arisen. Mm. There's nobody in it, there's nobody to get out of it. It's just this. So the, the clinging, the searching, trying to hold it, can stop. This is release. We see more clearly that uh, beneath the world of appearances, there are these fundamental drives subterranean drives, drive to perpetuate, the drive to solidify, the drive to, uh, for fulfillment. And in the ordinary way of looking at things, those drives are perfectly valid. Of course we want to 
feel solid and together. Of course, we like to perpetuate and continue and have an ongoing process. And of course, we search for fulfillment. And yet, do we ever get them? Mm. Now, insight begins to cut the basis for that. There's nothing to be fulfilled by. You're already as emptying. Freedom from clinging, freedom from craving, freedom from accumulation. There's no cont- cont- continuity because every moment is just unique, passes. But this kind of discernment, this realization, you know, only happens when the mind is unified. If we say it beforehand, it sounds like, wow, <laughs> Does that, is that good? <laughs> Yeah. because the mind is normally so tethered to the world of appearances and to the process of sustaining appearances that ceasing, cessation, you know, however much we may technically appreciate it, is felt as something uh, you know, we're losing. So it really depends upon the mind being unified in itself that the world of appearances, we can let it go. Mm. The wisdom, this is how these faculties merge in the deathless, because uh, the experience of ceasing or cessation means that the resting, the ceasing of appearances, the ceasing of coming and going, the ceasing of birth and death, the ceasing of arising and passing, the ceasing of being in that spinning wheel of it all. And that ceasing, from the point of view of the world, sounds like an annihilation. The point of view of experience is release, freedom, peace. Mm. This is why these faculties, when properly cultivated, merge in the deathless. It's something they, that's what they do. It's not like I want them to do that. <laughs> you know, they should do that. It's what they do. That's that's the way. That's where it goes. That's what happens. You know. And that path is marked by happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>